didn't see you there. Would you guys like to set sail on this ocean of flavor with me? I'll be your captain. I'm Steve Harrington. And I'm Colin. And I'm Whitney. And you are listening to Scoops Ahoy, a Stranger Things podcast, where we go week by week, chapter by chapter, looking back at all the episodes of Stranger Things, starting with season one and going all the way until hopefully when the new one comes out, which we know now is sometime in 2022. But this week we are discussing the season finale of the first season called The Upside Down. And Colin is here with our summary. Chapter eight, the last chapter of season one titled The Upside Down debuted on Netflix on July 15th, 2016. It was directed by the Duffer Brothers and written by them and Paul Dichter. It has a runtime of 55 minutes and three seconds. It's still Saturday, November 12th, 1983, and Joyce is handcuffed to a chair inside the lab, pissed at Brenner, while Hopper is in the next room getting tased, pissed at executioner Connie Frazier. Back at Hawkins Middle, Mike, Dustin, Lucas, and Elle are hanging out by themselves, wondering where Nancy and Jonathan went, when Elle tells them they've gone to Demogorgon. Sure enough, they're at the buyer's house, montaging their way through setting a trap for the monster. Hopper, meanwhile, has cut a deal with Brenner. In exchange for letting him and Joyce go get Will back, he'll tell Brenner where the kids, including Elle, are. Brenner agrees, and Hopper and Joyce suit up before walking through the rift into the Upside Down. Once inside, Hopper, while telling Joyce to relax and breathe, flashes back to when his daughter Sarah first got sick. The trap is set at the buyers, and Nancy and Jonathan are ready to go, when who should arrive but Steve, embodying the concept of wrong place, wrong time. Nancy pulls a gun on him, telling him to leave, but the monster comes. Steve freaks, they run, and the monster leaves, having sensed Joyce and Hopper, who have reached upside down Castle Byers. They don't see Will, but Hopper finds a little stuffed animal, which makes him flash back again, this time to when Sarah is undergoing chemo. Steve decides it may actually be best to leave, but just then the monster comes back, drools on Jonathan, but Steve saves the day with a gnarly baseball bat. They end up trapping the monster and burning it, but it disappears again. Back at school, Dustin is raiding the pudding pantry while Mike is inviting Elle to the snowball, but Brenner and his team show up and ruin everything because Hopper sold them out. The guards capture the kids, but Elle shows up to explode their brains, including those of executioner Connie Frazier. And then the monster comes through the wall and gives Brenner a big, huge hug. The boys and Elle run into a classroom, but the Demogorgon follows them. Lucas's wrist rocket proves surprisingly ineffective, but Elle steps in, says goodbye, and screams the monster to death. She disappears, too. Meanwhile, Joyce and Hopper have found Will, but he's got a monster tentacle stuck down his throat. As they give the kids CPR, Hopper has one last flashback, this time to when his daughter finally passed away. The CPR works, Will comes back to life, and is taken to the hospital, where the kids all regale him with stories about Elle and Troy and brain explosions. Everybody lives happily ever after. Or not. We fast forward to Christmas Eve, when the boys are right back where they started playing D&D in the basement. Jonathan comes to pick Will up, Nancy gives Jonathan a new camera, and then snuggles with Steve on the couch, and Hopper bails on the Hawkins PD party to go leave some Eggos in the snow. Back at Casa Byers, Jonathan, Joyce, and Will are sitting down to dinner when Will excuses himself to go wash his hands. Instead, he coughs up a Demogorgon larva, quickly flashes back to the Upside Down, and heads back to dinner. The end of Chapter 8, and the end of Season 1. I have a lot of questions. I have a lot of stuff to talk about. This was <laughs> this is a very big episode. <laughs> There's a lot of the biggest that... one might say. Yes, of season absolutely. one. Yeah, 
And the Duffers agreed. They called this the most complex and crazy thing that they did. Nearly, it said nearly 40% of this episode has some kind of visual effects enhancement. Oh, uh, I yeah. have no doubt. He says they were actually working on shots until the last possible moment. The final visual effects shots were turned in just two weeks before they showed up on Netflix. So, holy cow. Beginning of July 2016, they were still crossing T's and dotting I's. Yeah. And I know this is because we've watched it over and over again. We've seen it so many times, but it, I don't understand Eleven's pattern of learning speech. <laughs> <laughs> How many times have they said Demogorgon in front of her? Maybe once, yeah. twice. She spits yeah. that out like it's nothing. Yeah. I mean, there, but, are, there are some continuity issues, certainly. But I think she only has, I think somebody counted and she only has like 42 lines in the whole season. Yeah, yeah but her one line is pudding. Yeah. <laughs> It's not even a hard word to say if right. you don't know yeah. how to talk. But she can handle Demogorgon, no problem. Yeah. 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 So, yeah, no, it's kind of funny. So They also, and this is actually something I brought up with Lauren, my co-host on Lights, Camera, No. When people always have to draw blood to attract something, why does everyone slice the middle of their palm? Is that I, a place that, does it bleed a lot? I don't know. Yeah, I, yeah you would think, you know, maybe cut your leg or something i, you I know, don't know or, i would yeah. just cut the tip of my finger and i wouldn't even do that i'd like cut like put a little slice on like my outside calf or something something that i'm, you know, I'm not going to use writing or taking a shower you know or something i mean I'm, or, you know. I'm talking like similar to like you know when you have to go to the doctor and get the finger prick that's yeah, what i would do sure. they're like i would like to slice all these tendons Right. In my and Barb, I, I mean, all that Barb did was she just kind of cut herself a little bit on the can at the at the party at the pool. So, you know, and there was a couple drops in the water and she was gone. Right there. I, I want to look into it. I bet there's something maybe your palm just bleeds a lot. You know, like head wounds bleed a lot. Yeah, it could be. Yeah, I, I, I'm going to look into this. OK, so we're we're not even a week since Will has gone disappearing. We're still on Saturday, just like last episode. So we have two straight episodes where we're just on Saturdays. Um, I love how this one starts with the pan down from the stars, just like exactly one like episode. Yep, yep, and then it ends with the kids playing Dungeons and Dragons. So mm-hmm. it's a real bookend kind of kind of episode. Um, we um, they were they're talking early on about how six people have been taken. Um, so quick math, you got Will and Barb and then Dale and Henry and then Shepard. And we got the lab guy at the beginning. So those are the, those are the six people that have been taken. Mm-hmm. So I know we were talking, we didn't know if Shepard was the first one to go in. Yeah. Um, but Must apparently he was, yeah. Unless somebody went in and came out certainly too. But so the big question overriding this, and this kind of lit up all the fan boards and it's all over Reddit and everything like this is, is Hopper a traitor? Do we do we not, do we like Hopper a little bit less because he sold out the kids because he told, you know, where L is? I mean, and, and just in the bottle of this season, I mean, do we- I honestly never put two and two together that I, I never knew that he did for sure sell out the kids and told them where they were. I mean, that's really stupid now that I've said it out loud that I didn't do it. Yeah, because he says it and then they show up. So, I mean, yeah, obviously he did. But I will never turn on Hopper. So, right. And, and, you know, I think, you know, even when it happened and even watching it again with kind of that prism, I mean, I don't, I don't really. I mean, he basically sacrificed one to save seven, if you want to include Steve, Nancy, and Jonathan. 
Yeah, and he really had no collect, you know, no real connection to Eleven other no. than I mean, he met her in the previous episode when they were sitting around the table, and they called, you know, Mister Clark. I mean, that's the only time that he had even seen her. And really, it wasn't the agents that took her out or anything. It was the Demogorgon. So right. you have to wonder if it would have happened regardless because they were baiting it to get there. Right. You know, so really, it wouldn't have mattered one way or another because in all honesty the demogorgon you know takes out brenner yeah and in a way keeps l from going back with him but then she has to take the demogorgon out to save the other four or three and my but i i don't understand what the deal hopper made why did he have to go back and get in the car after he's leaving the hospital like what is he doing yeah, I, th- I think, and that was that was a big question too. I was looking on Reddit, and somebody you know asked the question, you know, why did Hopper get in the car? And I mean, a lot of people were saying, well, you know, maybe it was like a debriefing thing, or maybe it was a, okay, we made the deal, now you keep your end of the deal. But and I know we're we're kind of skipping around all over the place, but oh, then yeah. in the police department party, the newspaper clips on the wall, one of them is the boy who came back to life, and it's if you pause it and read it, it's all about. Joyce saying that she's blaming the lab and the lab did all these terrible things mm-hmm. and you know so so it wasn't that Joyce had yeah to keep I mean the, quiet. the whole, his whole deal was when he was walking with Joyce down the hall said they're going to let us go in but it ends here and we're never to speak about it again mm-hmm. and it was nothing to do with them so that didn't pan out no, that didn't last long so. no I know yeah. that was I I've, I've legitimately wondered that since the first time I watched this because he doesn't look pleased to be getting in that car with those men he looks no but he but it looked like he knew it was coming i mean yes. it was he was not surprised he didn't question it he's like what are you guys you know that kind of thing so right he, no he knew it was you coming know. you know he takes like one last puff of the cigarette and flicks it and just gets in the car he like sighs and gets in but i just can't even put together even now knowing you know how things are going to go in the following seasons i still can't figure out what his deal could have been yeah be interesting to know i mean maybe theories. Email us scoopsahoypod at gmail.com. Let us know what your thoughts are. Yeah, I have, I, you know, that's one of those questions that's just kind of out there. Yeah. Yeah, I would love to hear people's theories. The only one I could possibly kind of scrounge together was his deal was if I tell you where the kids are, you have to tell me where you're going to put the girl so I can keep checking on her. And maybe that's how he knows to go put the egos in the box. Yeah, could be. Cause that's never explained either how he knows no or, so or, or what he's doing you know putting i mean clearly you're putting egos it's for 11 but how would he know that she's gonna you know and, come get on and right there so. in the middle of the right. wood yeah it, yeah yeah that was so. the only thing i could put together right so let's back up to i love the scene with jonathan and nancy getting all the traps ready and this was this was a, kind of a geek out moment for me just like way back on our first episode when i was talking about the lab guy mm-hmm. uh and the first you know minute so 37 shots of Jonathan and Nancy loading guns, pouring the gasoline, you know, putting the bear trap out 37 mm-hmm. shots in less than 60 seconds. It was like about 56 seconds. That scene, there's no dialogue. It's just a rapid montage of all these things going on. And what makes it so great is the sound editing for it. And and this episode actually won an Emmy for oh, really? sound design because of that. Um, and I looked up and there was an interview with Craig Hannigan, um, 
Hennigan, who was the sound designer, and he mm-hmm. said a couple of the sequences, he's talking about the sound design for the whole um, the whole thing, uh, the whole episode, and he's talking about the sounds of when they're in the upside down. Um, and he said a couple of the sequences were out in the forest, so the sound design includes a lot of trees, so there's a lot of moisture, it sounds wet, it's got dripping, it's got tree creaks, it's got movements of bark and general wetness, and I used a bit of my own breathing that's pitched down low. I'd layer a few things and add delay sounds to the tree creaks and any other sort of weird creaking stuff I could come up with. And if you go back and listen to it, this is me talking now, um, whenever Hopper and Joyce talk, there's a little bit of an echo and then it just, Mm -hmm. it kind of shuts off. So it's not like an echo that trails. It's like an echo that stops, which is a really neat, really interesting sound design. So yeah, kudos to Craig Hennigan, sound editing. Yeah, it was a cool episode and I am a sucker for a preparation montage whether it be getting ready for a dance or getting ready to slay some monsters yeah i mean the sound is the sound was so great i mean just the sound of the gasoline pouring on the carpet mm-hmm. and the nancy putting clicking the and she and like the, yeah and then the click and yep. the, and jonathan nailing so it's just a great montage of sound so i, I really love that and then steve wanders in well this is hands <laughs> down my favorite sequence with steve when yeah. he has to fight the democrat he doesn't know what he's doing and he runs and you see jonathan is the one who grabs him and he grabs him by the wrist and they're running and he just does this little like it's so cute to me this little sideways hop over the over the bear trap and you know he gets in there and he's like what the hell was that yes yeah (laughs) and he comes back later when he comes back in the second time he does the little bat flip Oh, yeah. He does the little, I love the little bat flip. So, oh, yeah. Like um, where he's getting ready to like batter up. Yeah, he's getting ready to rock him. And he really, actually, this was from the book too, um, Worlds Turned Upside Down. Um, The actor who plays the Demogorgon is Mark Steger. Uh, and he said he loved the showdown inside Joyce's house with the teenagers. We spent some time with the stunt coordinator. There are certain things you have to determine, like how do you sell me hitting one of the kids, for instance? It has to be done a certain way from certain angles. And then when Steve hits me with the baseball bat with the spikes, it was a heavy rubber bat. It was mm-hmm. solid. And I told Joe Curie, who plays Steve, to just hit me as hard as he could because I had so much padding from the suit that he couldn't really do much damage. And then Joe said there were definitely a couple of times when I gave him a good hit in the stomach because you want to sell it but you don't want to hurt the guy. <laughs> he, he's neck deep in rubber, breathing through a hose, sweating his brains out. So you have to give Mark Steger some serious credit for his work in that. Scene. I, I could hear teenage girls across America sigh when he did that bat flip. That is the moment I'm sure so many girls fell in love oh, with him. He was so great. Yeah. yeah. It was awesome. I mean, I fell in love with him a little bit, so. Yeah. Yeah, I think we can probably retire the Steve Harrington douchebag meter. Yes, it was. But we'll uh, nice. we'll, we'll get back to that when we get to our segments. But because, yeah. you know, I got an idea going forward. But so Will, I don't care what anybody says. Will, Will should have been dead. And I, yes, I said yes. what I said because. Yeah. And I think the only thing that's, you know, they kind of wrote him in, um, you know, to, to obviously keep him alive and kind of be the anchor, you know, for the show, as far as, you know, the, the, the kid character, but I mean, there are some hints during the season. They say he's really good at hiding and he had castle buyers that mm-hmm. he could hide in and that kind of stuff. So they left the door open that he could survive, but I mean, good Lord, Barb was dead in the flick of an eye. And, right. You know, and Will's, you know, we're going on, it was Sunday night. He was taken. So six days, six full days later, and this little 12 year old, tiny little kid who probably weighs 40 pounds dripping wet mm-hmm. can somehow you know 
survive, well, especially with the tentacle down his throat. Well, that's what that I was. Why was he chosen yeah. for this tentacle? Yeah. Versus Barb, who was just eaten, basically. Yeah. Or had the life sucked out of her or something. Or, right. Like my only thought is that he, I mean, obviously in the last episode when he's in Castle Byers and singing and then, mm-hmm. the, and then the wind. So he did not have the tentacle down his throat then. So no. he had survived for five or six days. And then finally the monster. I'm just know, curious him, so. why he was chosen for the tentacle. Yeah. Like there, if he maybe, maybe they all, maybe they all have tentacles and, Barb had already had her maybe after in season in episode three, when the monster takes Barb, he puts a tentacle down her throat. We never see. Yeah. Because the next time we see her is five episodes later and she's dead. So how much stress were you under when Joyce was just screaming as loud as she could in the upside down? Yeah. Yeah. And, and I kind of, I went back and watched that because I was trying to figure out what made the Demogorgon disappear the first time they were mm-hmm. with Jonathan and Nancy and if it was because of that, but it is a little bit later. So I, I had the feeling, and I mentioned in the recap that I think the Demogorgon just kind of sensed they were there. Mm-hmm. And then when she starts yelling, certainly <laughs> shut up. <laughs> yeah. See, I just assumed the Demogorgon left because he was on fire. No, he wasn't. He wasn't on fire at that point. He was, he, the first time. Oh, okay, okay. The first time when he comes and Steve's like, what the heck's going on? And, then, gotcha. and they're in the room and he's got the, and Jonathan has the lighter lit and he just disappears. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. And then he comes back. So the first time he disappears, I think he, maybe he just sensed that Joyce and Hopper were there. Or maybe he just got bored and didn't see anybody and <laughs> left. I don't know. I I'm, can't get inside the mind of a Demogorgon. So I don't, I don't really know. Well, but why not? I know. But that was my thought. Um, so, I mean, it's, I mean, it's all speculation, obviously, but I, I have a feeling that he just sensed that they were there, but yes, I was freaking out a little bit. I mentioned early on in our podcast that every scene that Joyce is in is like the most angsty scene ever. Oh and yeah. But just, this one just puts it over the edge. Yeah, absolutely. Did you notice the tiger that was in the, the upside down and then yes. Hopper picks it up? So yes. is it the same tiger? No. I mean, one was obviously Will's, but it reminded him it was very close to Sarah's. It didn't look exactly the same? No, I think they were a little bit different. We'll have to go back and look at it. It was not the same animal. I think it was very close, but it was enough to spark his memory. Well, this is the first we see his daughter. How great of an actress is she? She is great. Yeah, she was really good. Yeah, L. Graham. Hmm. Remember that name? Yeah, she she was just great. Well, he's great, I think, in those scenes. It's heartbreaking. Yeah, yeah. To absolutely. watch him do that, and the scene when when he's crumpled in the in the stairway. Oh, and, I know. Yeah, yeah. It was just it's really rough. But we should we should talk about the blue bracelet. I know it's come up before. Yeah. For the people that didn't notice, um, the blue bracelet were, were her hair ties mm-hmm. when she first had the um, when she was first having trouble breathing, yeah. and that became his bracelet that he's worn um, all this season. So he kind of turned her hair ties into a bracelet. So that's that's on his wrist, and it. It keeps continuing through the series. So remember the blue yes. bracelet and keep, and keep keep looking for it now. So do we know how long it's been since she passed away? Did they say that the night when they were searching the woods? Uh, so I found, and I don't know, it was on the Stranger Things wiki, not the wiki, not the Wikipedia page, but the Stranger the Things wiki, a friend of thing, mentioned that Sarah died in, I think it was like 1978 or 79 or something. Okay. So it's been about five years, five, six years, something like that. So. Okay. I just wasn't that, sure. I mean, it had to be enough time for him to move from 
the city to back to Hawkins. So yeah. And that's at least four years. Cause he's been in Hawkins for four years. So oh, yeah. Yeah. So that, that's probably there. is right. Let's go to the whole Mike and L and kissing and snowball and all oh, that, yeah. that kind of stuff contrasted with the snack pack, chocolate pudding <laughs> raid that is going on in the that other they room. could not possibly eat they could never eat that many yeah, why, why do they why do they need to take 28 cans because it's it's a thing a kid would do it's 100 yeah, I mean, just something a kid would do i mean i had those in my lunch you know back in the day but it grosses you know, me I, out because i had one yeah but like were they warm it's just in that tin can it, it's just yeah there was a there was an article on um in wired uh, back in 2016, where the uh, people talked with Linda Reese, who's the prop master, uh, about all the you know major props, you know the TVs and the boom boxes and mm-hmm. blah blah blah. And they asked her about the snack pack pudding because they don't they still make Hunt snack pack, but it's yeah. in plastic plastic containers. Yes. Um, so she said they don't make chocolate pudding in cans anymore. Um, so I had to gross. get creative. Yeah. <laughs> we used cans of Vienna sausages and luncheon meat and just slapped the replica chocolate pudding labels on them. And that had some, what she said were gnarly side effects. The kids had to keep opening them in the scenes and they were gagging because it smelled disgusting. And and they do open it in the scene when they're in the cafeteria and Mike comes running in saying that, you know, everybody's coming. So yeah, if you can imagine opening cans of Vienna sausages, as opposed to oh. of chocolate pudding. Yeah. Yeah, that is. But anyway, so yeah. Ellen Mike have their little moment where he confesses that he doesn't love her like a brother. Right. Gross. <laughs> yeah. And then they have their first kiss, which, which was actually Millie Bobby Brown's first ever kiss. Yes. As a, as a human being. There have been several articles I've read talking about how it was the most awkward thing she's ever had to do. And this is this is something just as an aside, because I went looking for that, too. And I did. I, just, I think I just Googled Millie Bobby Brown kiss mm-hmm. and there must have been 20 video clips of various news outlets asking her about this kiss, which seems so a little inappropriate, a little bit. Right. I mean, like everyone, like entertainment tonight and inside edition. And I mean, everybody's asking, you know, it's, it's just, it was just weird. You know, like why but are yes. you so, why are people so into it? Yeah. But yeah, I, th- I think, I think they're cute. And I think that they're, they're, you know just awkward enough because they're both you know you know the characters are 12 years old and i mean she has no idea what's going on and i'm still of the mind that she has no idea what a kiss even is so yeah right i can't imagine she and she was giving brenner kisses good night every night when she went to bed or anything so i mean i don't know it's a little little strange but i thought i thought that was a little moment how nice was it to see executioner connie frazier finally get hers Oh, and, and like that, right? Yeah. I mean, it's not like she was just like shot or, no. or the Demogorgon got her. It's like her brain her imploded. brain like imploded. And like, oh, so nice. And there's yeah, just so. so much. That is a very gory scene. It really and is. You don't see it. You don't see their heads explode. You see them drop to the ground. So they had to. No, imploded. but you hear it. Yes. You hear it. That was what I was going to say. And I think that also added to uh, <laughs> our friend Craig, Craig Hennigan's uh, Emmy. Oh yeah, uh, I'm sure. Yeah, it was it was that was that was really crazy. So but and I think it was really neat too contrasting that scene because that comes right after the the little quiet kiss scene, you know, mm-hmm. and the little and then you know two minutes later she's blowing up people's brains, which I thought was was really good. Did you catch how Dustin, you know, muttered Lando under mm-hmm. his breath? Yeah, I did. So 
I don't, I don't know if he realizes it was Hopper. I don't think at that point. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe he assumes it's Hopper because Hopper was the one who convinced them to go with him in the previous episode. Yeah, could be. And so he just thinks, you know, he did it. This episode, we know that the Duffer brothers have, they consider Wes Craven as one of their inspirations for the show, which is weird Mm -hmm. because it's a, it's, I don't know, it's definitely a kid's show, I think, but preteens, I guess. Mm-hmm. But this episode is the first time I really got any Freddy Krueger Nightmare on Elm Street vibes. That whole montage of them getting all their all their weapons together is very similar to Nancy in yeah. uh, or Nightmare on Elm Street when she's preparing yeah. for Freddy to come. And I picked up on like some pretty hefty Twin Peaks vibes. So, I mean, it's just kind of. I mean, you kind of read into it what you want to, you know, I think based on your own experiences. And um, but I mean, they were clearly influenced. I mean, they the Duffer brothers clearly have are very creative and, you know, really know how to tell a story and make some characters. But, you know, clearly they're taking inspiration too, like anybody would. Right. You know, so but but yeah, I, I, I totally picked up on the Elm Street vibes. Yeah. Speaking of Twin Peaks, I feel a Colin moment coming on. So it's not an 80s thing, obviously, because Twin Peaks debuted in April of 1990. But, and the Duffer Brothers have never really said, you know, point blank that they were inspired by Twin Peaks, but their first real job after, you know, right before Stranger Things was working on Wayward Pines, which is very similar to Twin Peaks. Um, And there was a lot of very David Lynchian things going on in this, not to mention the general plot is pretty much identical. You know, a, a young person, you know, in, in Twin Peaks, it was, you know, the high school, you know, homecoming queen, Laura Palmer. In this one, it's a 12-year-old boy. Um, young young kid gets kind of taken into a paranormal kind of world. There's a small town mystery. There's quirky characters and that whole kind of thing. Uh, and then the visuals, I mean, a very, um, you know, dominating visual in the first episode of Twin Peaks and the pilot where the flickering lights in the morgue um, and we get that a lot you know obviously in this one in the um, in the scene in the school when Elle finally takes out the Demogorgon at the end and then the final shot of this episode is Will standing in front of the mirror obviously possessed by something which directly mirrors the final episode of the original Twin Peaks when you know, it's sure it's a spoiler, but it's also been 30 years. So let's let's just go ahead and go with the spoilers. When uh, when uh, Dale Cooper is possessed by Bob and he looks in the mirror and he sees that, you know, he's possessed. So, I mean, very, very, you know, I know in the past we've, you know, that might be a reach or that might be a reach. But I think this is very clearly, you know, inspired by Twin Peaks. And, you know, I, I actually did some more kind of looking and, and kind of actually Googled Twin Peaks Stranger Things and what should pop up but this um, YouTube video of a um, band in Seattle called Prom Queen, and they made a mashup of Laura's theme from Twin Peaks and the Stranger Things intro music. So it's kind of a mashup song. Mm-hmm. So I'll, I'll, post, I'll post it on our Twitter page so people can you know, post it on our socials so people can see it. So, um, but I was just such a huge, huge fan of Twin Peaks and pretty much from the word go actually yes from the word go in stranger things in that very first 
episode when the lab guy is running through the hallways and the lights are flickering. I've picked up on a huge Twin Peaks vibe. So not 80s, but still, you know, I was in college when, when Twin Peaks came out. That was that's kind of my Colin moment for this week, talking about the the link between Twin Peaks and Stranger Things, which is definitely a real thing. Are you ready now for you want to do your homework or you want to do some tr- or some music? Let, let me do one more thing about the episode real quick, because this is kind of funny. Okay. And then, then we can go on to do whatever. Recall, if you will, what time it was when Dustin called Mr. Clark. 11 something, 11. On Saturday, it was like 10 o'clock. 10, 10 o'clock. It's, yes. it's 10 o'clock, right? Okay. Yeah. So from that time, from when he hung up with, from when Dustin hung up with Mr. Clark and they set the plan in motion in the last episode. I'm going to take this from Hopper's point of view. So I'm mm-hmm. just going to pick one character. So finish the phone call. Hopper went and got all the salt out of the shed, wherever that is. Drove to the school, dumped all the salt in the pool. L went into the upside down, saw Barb, mm-hmm. then saw Will. Mm-hmm. Then they, you know, got out and everybody got kind of dried off. Hopper left for the lab, mm-hmm. right? With Joyce, they got arrested. Joyce talks to Brenner. At the beginning of this episode, Hopper gets tased. Then he has his separate scene with Brenner, right? Then they go to walk down the halls. They go in, they suit up. Can you see where this is going? Yes. So then they, they suit up. Then they walk through the entire town. They leave the lab. They go to the woods. They go to Castle Byers. They go to Joyce's house. They linger there for a little bit with the whole Jonathan and his, what's going on and you know the monster and the pool of blood. Well, then they walk through Melville's. Then they get to the library. Then they wander through the library. They see Barb. They see uh, Will, they take the tendril out, they bring Will back to life, right? So all this is going on Mm -hmm. back in the real world. It is now 10.04, according to the clock, in the room where Elle and the kids are. So somehow all of that happened. In in four four minutes. minutes. (laughs) In four minutes. (laughs) So it was was just kind of fun. I mean, it's clearly a mistake. They forgot to, you know, set the clock on the wall in the, in the classroom, but it's just so funny that it's set for 10 Oh four on the wall. And all of this was supposed to happen in four minutes. So anyway, okay. So we can go on to, you want to do, um, did you do your homework? Did I do my homework? Did you do your homework, Colin? You're late again. I had to get catch up homework. Okay. It's funny that you just talked about the time because it's one of my questions. Oh, okay. (laughs) I should have saved it. Okay. 10.04. Yes, that's the answer. Good call. Good, good call. What time is it when 11 kills the Demogorgon? Number two, what book does Hopper read to his daughter? A book I've never read, actually, which is probably pretty sad because it's probably one of those classics that I should have read, but Anne of Green Gables. Correct. Good call. Good, good call. Have you ever read it? I believe I have. I can't remember. I think I have. I, there were several books in the series. Weren't there? You're asking the wrong guy, sister. There used to be a TV show on Disney that was about it, too, that I loved. I believe okay. I, I definitely read it. Okay. All right. Question number three. What's the first thing Will Byer says on waking? When he's in the hospital or? In, he, the, yeah. in the hospital bed. I don't remember. It's a very tra- it's a very traditional first question when people wake up in hospital beds and TV shows. Who are you, people? No, oh, no. absolutely not. Where am I? Where am I? Okay, all right. Okay, 
And the last question, actually, I'm going to give you a bonus question this week, but this last official question is what monsters will force to face in Mike's new campaign? Ah, the Thessal Hydra. Good call. Good, good call. Correct. Okay. And I'm getting these questions from notes from the upside down an unofficial guide to stranger things by guy Adams. And his final question in this chapter, which is the final chapter of the book, uh, it says <laughs> the final question in the whole book, what's wrong with Joyce's mashed potatoes? <laughs> I wish we could find somewhere what they used because clearly it was not mashed potatoes because it looked about the consistency of clam chowder, which was like runny clam chowder, not like yeah. good clam chowder, like runny clam chowder. So yeah, they were all, they were all runny and, and runny and gross. Yeah. Good call. Good, good call. Uh, maybe they used too and much something, milk. Well, something was overcooked. I don't know if she made a turkey or whatever, but she said, this is overcooked and the mashed potatoes are ready. So yeah. Joyce's. Yeah. She's having a tough time. It's a, She acts like it's the first Christmas she's ever had to cook I a know, meal for I, her family. I don't know. And think about it. They had just discovered a secret lab that had, they would not be living in that house anymore. They would be, they would never have to work think. again. But maybe she blew so that the, by the, talking to the newspaper reporter and then being that article. I don't know. Maybe she can. Have... Joyce, you idiot. idiot. <laughs> so uh, there's no where in the world is this week. I know. I paid yeah, attention so no, to. No locations. Um, oh, I do want to mention it was really funny because <laughs> I just love Ted. And it just, <laughs> it just he's just so great. And, and this episode, I mean, I thought one of the trivia questions was going to be who is sleeping in the waiting room and you were going to try to trick me because oh. it's just Dustin and Lucas, but no, Ted was fast asleep too. No, no. Yeah. So, yeah. Ted, Ted was Ted there. Was, Ted was there <laughs> and, and he was asleep. So let's do a little music. Okay. Only two songs this week. One is Horizon, the uh, Warsaw Gate mix of Horizon by Tangerine Dream. They love Tangerine they Dream. They do. Yeah. They must have loved Legend. It's my yeah. only guess. Uh, and this is from their 2007 album, Tangine Scales. Um, and it was playing in the first flashback with Sarah when she has, when she's little Sarah, when she's having trouble breathing. So 2007 song for that one playing in 1983, but it's actually. Wait, I have, I have the piece was originally featured on their 1984 live album, Poland. Yeah, that was that's the original version of Horizon. This is apparently, according to the fandom page, the Warsaw Gate mix, which didn't come out until uh-huh. 2007. So go figure. Uh, and then the other song is When It's Cold, I'd Like to Die by Moby. Cold, which is the song that's playing uh, when they resuscitate Will in the Upside Down. And that's from his album, Everything is Wrong, that came out in... 1995 so that song speaks to me because when it's cold i would also like to die because i hate yes. cold weather <laughs> so good point so the steve harrington douchebag meter i think can officially be retired as we already mentioned so i'm going to suggest we uh transition we can do one last douchebag meter if you want or we can transition into the steve bag steve steve bag or we could trans- transition into the steve harrington awesome meter starting now and moving forward or whatever we could do badass steve awesome steve 
Which Steve are we going to do this week? Let's do the Steve Awesome meter. Awesome. <laughs> awesome. He's awesome. Okay. So I think, yeah, it's, it's official. He is no longer a douchebag. Uh, he has completely redeemed himself. He may have been a douchebag in the past, but really, uh, but um, bump stepped up to the plate this week <laughs> and swung the bat and hit a home run and all that, you know, all kinds of baseball punny stuff. So yes, I think Steve is uh, now burrowing his way into all of our hearts. Oh, yes. I love him. Okay, so we can go on to our... Oh, I do want to mention one other thing. This was kind of interesting. When Jonathan gets the camera from Nancy, it's a Pentax mm-hmm. MX, which was sold by Pentax from 1976 to 85 or something like that. And I found a clip, like a newspaper ad for a magazine ad for the Pentax MX, which sold for about $200 in 1981. So I'm assuming that Steve probably uh, shouldered the financial burden uh, of this with mm-hmm. his rich parents and fancy BMW. So it's quite a pricey gift. Yeah. I'll put a copy of the ad up on the, uh, on our socials so you guys can see it. It's kind of fun to fun to look back at old ads. And then we end the episode with uh, Will very confident that he's getting a new Atari 2600, uh, which hopefully the lab paid for. Cause that was going for about, uh, it was about a <laughs> hundred bucks in 1983. It was right before kind of the video game crash which was kind of end of 83 mm-hmm. into 84. Um, but it was still a good hundred bucks to, you know, to buy an Atari back then. So I wonder if Steve provided the film for Jonathan, because he was just snapping away. Yeah. yeah. And that's the thing, because when I was doing photography, when I was in college, I took a photography course and yeah, it's not, it's not cheap to keep buying, keep buying film. Okay. On to uh, superlatives. On to superlatives. Ooh. Okay. What do you, do you want to start with best line? Yeah, let's do best line. Uh, I went with Steve's. This is crazy. 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 Yeah, shades of. Yes, National Lampoon's Vacation. And it is actually a quote my husband and I say very often in our house. This is crazy. This is crazy. This is crazy. I went with, it uh, shouldn't be a surprise to anybody with the uh, with the pudding raid, Dustin's line uh, when they opened up the uh, refrigerator. Mike! I found a chocolate pudding! I just, I love how his voice cracks at the end. Oh, so I know. Fun. He's just so excited about it. It's <laughs> so fun. So. <laughs> it's yeah. like he's never had chocolate pudding and clearly he has it every day at school. Well, he says the lunch later is hoarding it. So maybe he hasn't had it as much as he'd want to. So that's. So that leads right into my most spirited, which is the Hunt Snack Pack Pudding uh, canisters, which was, I think, just so 80s because they actually started um, making them not in the aluminum cans in like 1985, I think. So that was a very early 80s thing. And and I already talked about how Linda Reese, the prop master, went through all the, you know, pain she did to make Mm -hmm. it. So that was very, very spirited, very 80s for me. What was your, what was your spirited? Uh, Joyce's Christmas outfit. It was hands down the ugliest thing I've seen all season. <laughs> Uglier even than lovely Steve's sweater. Yes, absolutely. Yes. I mean, Steve's sweater has actually come back around in an ironic way. You know, people love those. I guess they're kind of going out of style now, but those like ugly sweater parties ugly, were a ugly thing sweaters, yeah. mm-hmm. in, in like pretty much the early 2000s. And you could easily wear that. And now I feel like people could like somebody could pull that off these days, that sweater. Absolutely. Yeah, I almost I, I almost went uh, kind of honorable mention to the Tupperware 
that uh, Hopper takes out at the end, just kind of that that drab green kind of rubbery Tupperware. It's not like it's not like the Ziploc, you know, nice containers that you get these no, days. No, it's my grandma yeah, still the, has that's them. just that ugly green and the little pop top. But the design on the front that's like or on the top, it's like the ridges. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So, yep. okay. Most stranger thing from there the were episode. so many to choose from. There really were. I almost went with the Demogorgon in the buyer's house when he just barrels through that ceiling mm-hmm. when you're not really expecting it. I mean, you're expecting it, but you just don't know where he's going to come from. But I'm actually going with the executioner, Connie Frazier's death. I wrote down brain explosions. So, yeah. Oh, so we picked the same thing. We picked the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. It didn't like that. That was, that was really out of nowhere too. I mean, that was kind of, I mean, we'd seen her kind of kill Benny, but it was kind of on the other side of the restaurant. Mm-hmm. You didn't really see, I mean, we didn't see, you know, you know, bullet between his eyes or no, whatever. we saw and, Barb get sucked back. We don't see it eat right. her or anything. Yeah, so and, this was, this was the first real like heavy duty violence, bloody mm-hmm. gross, you know. Okay. All right, let's wrap it up with uh, MVP. I actually have a really funny story for my MVP because I was watching this with my husband and Mike, my husband, does not remember anything we ever watch, ever. We've watched Stranger Things. We sat down and watched it when it first came out. He was watching it like he had never seen anything before. <laughs> Who's Hopper as a kid? Oh my gosh, she dies. Oh my gosh. Will's stuck in the upset. What are you doing? Where have you been? <laughs> What do you remember about yeah. this? Yeah. So I, <laughs> it was funny because I said, he said, who are you going to pick for your MVP this week? And I said, I don't know. It's going to be hard to not go with Hopper. And really I meant in my head, David Harbour, his acting was so good this week when he was breaking down in the corner of the hospital and just the relief you see on his face when Will comes back to <laughs> Mike just burst out. You're not going to go with 11. She just saved the whole planet. <laughs> So, so I'm going with 11. Well, I'm going with David Harbour. So there you go. Oh, perfect. Yeah. Yeah. So, no, I, 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 yeah, I had him written down. I, I thought he was just, and yeah, you know, kind of really glue. He was kind of the glue that held kind mm-hmm. of everything together. And, and he also had the added, like you mentioned, the added, um, you know, scenes with the flashbacks and stuff, which kind of gave us a whole other side of him too, you know, kind of clean shaven and, and, yeah. you know, it's a different kind of emotional set for him. So I thought, I thought he was great. If I am ever in any sort of emergency, I would like David Harbour to be there. I would too. Yes. I feel like he would calm me down. See, and this goes back to the first question I asked, which is, was he a traitor? Did he turn them in? Do we, should we feel no. negatively toward No, neither of us no. do. So, yeah. I mean, we also do have the benefit of watching, having already watched seasons two and three. Right. But know, I didn't, I didn't even, I mean, I guess I'm an idiot because I didn't even put it together that he was the one that ratted him out even though it's real clear now (laughs) okay so that's uh that's a wrap on season season one so as always if you have any questions comments or you want to email us your theories on what you think hopper's motive was or if you feel like hopper was a traitor you can always email us at scoopsahoypod at gmail.com you can find us on all the socials at scoopsahoypod and you can find us streaming on any podcasting platform that you like to listen to we're there next week we will be doing a little bit of a review our final thoughts on season one before we dive into season two if you have any questions that you'd like us to answer comments 
about season one, we can read them on the show. We can tell you guys what we think. We can read. We can tell the people what you think. So there you go. All right, guys. I want to thank everybody for listening, and I hope you tune in next time. Thanks, guys. Bye. Bye. Stranger Things audio clips and official score are the property of Netflix. Incidental music by Blue Mount Score from Pixabay.